0: Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at Storyteller Academy.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Tracy Diamond, the Adult Services Coordinator of the Enoch Crafty Library. And I'm so pleased to have you here uh, at the Inner Harbor. event for the entire city and foot lovers across the state. Heather's offers are here in Charm City. We've got music, food, programs for kids, and much more. Um, because I know we're all excited to hear the conversation that's about to happen, I am going to step out of the way. Um, but I <laughs> do want to introduce um, that we have Healing Siegel, co-author of
0: the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 554. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking with Geely Siegel, co-author of I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. This episode was recorded live at the Inner Harbor in Baltimore, Maryland, as part of the Baltimore Book Festival. Kimberly Jones, Gilly's co-author, had to cancel at the last minute and was sorely missed in this conversation. I'm Not Dying With You Tonight is a YA novel told in two voices about two high school students, Lena and Campbell. Who are forced to flee their school football game when a fight breaks out and a student is shot. Their path home sends them downtown through a coalescing riot akin to that of the 2015 riots in Baltimore in response to the death of Freddie Gray. It's a powerful and compelling novel that confronts racism and racial bias, all the while exploring what it looks like to be a survivor. Please welcome my guest, Geely Siegel, co author of I'm Not Dying with You Tonight.
1: You. That
0: is certainly a warm welcome. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. <laughs> Very warm. Do you feel warm, Gimmy? I do,
1: yes. Good. <laughs> hey,
0: um,. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge that you have co-authored the I book do. we're talking about yes. today.
1: Yes, Kimberly Jones, um, who is my partner in adventure and writing this book. And unfortunately, she couldn't make it at the last minute this weekend, and she's very sorry about that. And so am I. Um, but I'm going to do our best, my best, to represent both of us and you know steal all of her very best lines.
0: <laughs> uh, do you have you ever met Kimberly Jones in real life? <laughs>
1: Now, there's a question. Yes. Okay. We actually write sitting side by side. We both live in Atlanta. Okay. um, And we knew each other for about two years before we started writing together and then became friends and then wrote this book together. So we actually do see each other on a routine basis. So
0: I want to spend a lot of our time... Detangling what it is like to write a book in two voices yeah. and to co-author it yeah. because it seems too easy to just say I'll take this voice and you take that voice and go because I'm <laughs> sure that's not what it is but before you know, we do that
1: you're the only one who has ever started Who's, it in that place oh okay yeah yeah. <laughs> which I love I love that's great can you tell <laughs> if, I've
0: spoken to a couple authors yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I don't
1: know what gave, what gave it Be- away before we go there yes. uh, would you
0: mind introducing this book I'm Not Dying With You Tonight to yes. so folks that haven't become acquainted with it yet.
1: Sure. So I'm Not Dying With You Tonight is a dual narrative told in the voices of Lena and Campbell. It's the story of two girls, one black and one white, who are at a football game at their high school on a Friday night when um, a racial epithet is used and a fight breaks out. And the fight becomes what the police refer to as a mass disturbance. And the girls kind of get trapped and they have to work together to get out of their school only to discover that the entire city has devolved into riots and nowhere is safe.
0: This is one of those books that I feel like... It, it sort of got the Margaret Peterson Haddix thing where it's like, <laughs> I dare you to stop on this chapter. Yeah. I, I, I dare Yay. you. Try it. Put it down.
1: Uh, thank you. I found myself... I was listening to it on audio
0: and I had to stop mid-chapter. Yeah. Otherwise, I couldn't stop, yeah. which is great.
1: Ooh. Well, thank you. That's a high compliment.
0: I, I also love that we're going between Campbell and Lena yeah. and that um, we... Not only are we given location right so Mm -hmm. each chapter starts off campbell mcpherson high school football field we're given this location which immediately gave me the tension of are they going to be separated yeah and what will happen when that happens inevitably but also uh you've done a great job not um rehashing the events that just happened but rather we're passing the baton as it were to the next person to tell their end of the story and move Mm -hmm. it forward yeah I found that very compelling.
1: That's it's really interesting that you say that because in fact that was not how the first draft of the book was constructed. The very first draft of this book, we the we like to say the book is as much about perspective as it is about race. Um, sure. It's also about gender um, and. In the very first draft, we thought, oh, this is going to be awesome. You know how we're going to show you perspective? We're going to show every event from the perspective of both characters. So you're going to see what happens through Lena's eyes, and then you're going to jump back in time, and you're going to see it through Campbell's eyes. Uh. Yes, this is awesome. And we gave it to our earliest readers, many of whom are sort of authors that we admire and love, and every single one of them came back and said this sucks. Oh, <laughs> Wow, ouch. <laughs> um, but they were right. So <laughs> it was repetitive. And the girls, um, as, as much as things are different for the two of them, they're also important commonalities. And we had to find a different way of showing these events through different perspectives. And that's when we took the sort of leapfrog or pass the baton approach. And the book was really stronger for it, right? So as hard as that sort of initial feedback was, they were really right that the story wasn't progressing forward.
0: Did you and Kim set out to tell this story together? Did you know when you were coming together that you were going to be co-authoring a book? Or is it just that you were writing side by side and... Suddenly there was a, a moment of like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we just did this together?
1: <laughs> no, we, ins- we set out to write uh, right. this book, in particular, co-authored. The idea actually originates from or is inspired by an event that took place here in Baltimore in 2015. And that's why it's in a special honor to be having this conversation on this particular stage. So in 2015, in the wake of the murder of Freddie Gray, the city there were protests across the city and one particular day of protests was called to take place around Frederick Douglass High School and the authorities get wind of what's going to happen. There's a flyer that goes around calling for people to gather and they decide they're going to You know, stop that. And they made two really stupid choices. The first thing they did was close schools early and tell the students to go home. And the second thing they did was close down public transportation in the area. So now you've got this mass group of students who's been told to go and no way to get there. And there was a teeny tiny little news clip about a school bus that got trapped behind a police barricade. And the news moved on because what the news wanted to center was sort of the salacious violence instead of the community and why this was happening and the impact on people in the community. And Kim and I are both moms, and we got really stuck on that school bus, and we went, wait, 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 how did those kids get home? Did those kids get home? And if they did, this still must have been a transformative day for them. So I sent the news clip to Kim, And um, we sort of ruminated about it, and I said, you know, we're writers, I wanna process this by writing. Would you be interested in writing with me? Um, The other part about that is it's this is and this is a good moment to acknowledge that we're two white people or white passing people. So I don't make any assumptions up here on a stage talking about race and racism. Right. And it leads to me to a really important question about Mm -hmm. what is the role of the white community in talking about race and racism? And I don't know that I have a good solid answer to that, but I do know that I feel a responsibility to grapple with. Um, whiteness and racism and part of the way of doing that is through writing a book like this but it never could have been told from my voice alone I I don't have the lived experience to do justice to a character like Lena in a situation like this
0: we should say that your co-author Kimberly Jones is black Yes. Um, and so it it struck me that a lot of this writing is working through a lot of racial tension Um, through the assumed name of or the given name of Becky to Campbell when there was, when she was like, that's not my name. Yeah. For for me as a white person to realize, oh, I see what you're doing there. It's not that you misheard a name. It's a, it's a catch all name given. Yeah. Um, to Campbell's naivety about the police and what it'll mean for the police to show up at the mm-hmm. school, um, to be surrounding the school and not be able to get out. It really, I, I think you're, you're forcing Campbell to face her privilege, yes uh or the privilege afforded her just from her her uh the color of her skin um there's a lot of other assumed privilege I think that Lena assumes of of Campbell that you break down too there's a nice balance there of 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 racial tension
1: yes it absolutely is about confronting privilege and what it means to have privilege. It's The the Becky one is interesting. Um, fun fact, I didn't know what Becky meant before I started writing this book. It probably appears in my own book like 20 times, and I didn't know until I asked Kim, you know why is she calling her Becky all the time? And it's it is about Campbell being this sort of naive white girl, but it's also an insult. So Lena, Kim intentionally constructed Lena as a character who's being raised by her grandfather. And if you think about when Pops... Would have been growing up, he would have survived. He's probably in his 70s, and he would have survived the Jim Crow South. So, Pops has a very particular perspective on white people, and would not have raised Lena to see in them any sort of potential ally. Rightly so. (laughs) Um, And there's there's a sort of three lines relatively early in the book when the when the police show up at the school fight, when Lena's reaction is. Uh, sorry, Campbell's reaction is, oh, few, now help has arrived because she has been raised that police are authority figures who can help, and Lena's reaction is, oh, no, trouble. This is now real trouble, um, and I'm in danger because, in her experience, the police are authoritarian figures who represent a threat, and it's that dichotomy of perspective in the way that we're raised. Campbell's own father, who lives in this neighborhood and has for some time, has a very stereotypical view of his own neighborhood, and he... Campbell's perspectives are informed by the things that he tells her about the neighborhood and the danger that it presents, which are n- misinformed, really, and fear-based. Fear-based, 100% fear-based. Right.
0: Yes. I, I, uh, Campbell's dad owns a, a hardware store. Yes. That uh, in these riots, that that whole uh, block, that whole well, the whole street mm-hmm. gets looted. And Campbell's fear that. That she's going to lose everything, I think, really incites her anger. Uh, but up until then, we 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 see more fear. So we're seeing a yes. a, a change in, in dynamic in that way. But again, you have um, between she and Lena, this trade off of of emotions constantly, and I feel like the way that there's almost not a point throughout the majority of the book that they're both feeling and enacting the same way. You're you're causing them to. To drive forward based on trust that a mm-hmm. boyfriend will be there, yeah um, oh black
2: oh, black Black's Lena's
1: boyfriend
0: right uh, who who is who seems like he really cares about her, but is also he also really cares about this record contract, and we would really love to believe that he's a good guy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but Campbell sort of thinks, Lena, you seem so smart, yeah, how can you not be smart about this thing? Yeah, right,
1: yeah. Black's an interesting character to me. I really loved writing Black. Um, most people don't like him. He's admittedly a jerk through a lot of the, b- of the book and doesn't step up in the way that you really want him to. But as you read, I hope that what you see is that there are layers to Black, too, and he makes some choices that are not expected, are not the things that would be expected of him. So I, like, I liked writing Black. I think that that's...
0: Sort of the point of your book, though, right, is that yes. everyone is is acting not out of <laughs> there are what you would expect, to them all. Yeah. Uh, or maybe even what we would expect. If I'm reading myself as Campbell in the story, being that I'm reading this white character moving into a neighborhood that uh, is now suddenly uh, on a football team that that the opposing team, a number of the fans have some deep racial issues yes. um, toward this. In fact, that's one of the things that incites the whole issue. Uh, is is Lena being called uh, a name Lena no, it wasn't Lena it was yeah, kids like two around another characters in the book like a character from the high the school the McPherson high stand, school
1: yeah. and there are interestingly enough there are actually two racial epithets that are used in that scene it's intentionally in a campbell chapter and campbell doesn't pick up on the emotional weight of one of them because she's white and and when we've asked readers what was the racial epithet we oftentimes find that black readers identify both of them obviously they've heard them before and white readers have a tendency to miss the first one or at least miss the gravity of it
0: right the weight of the first one being that that this guy from this other school refers to uh the black student as son yeah, boy. Boy.
1: Boy, yes, which particularly in the South with the history of slavery and that term really being used as in a derogatory and pejorative fashion.
0: Right. Um, and then the second one being likened to that of an ape or that of a monkey. Yes. And I think that... Um, that's one that even now in school libraries and elementary school libraries, yeah. we're still grappling with the representation of characters as monkeys and how... This is derived from yeah. racism, yeah. and that we need to be able to view it from that lens. I think yeah. there's a lot of things that you're even giving Campbell to s- struggle with in here to view it from that uh, from a different lens
1: yeah, I think you ha- we have to grapple with it. we have to grapple with it because um, change com- growth comes from discomfort, and so we as a community, particularly the white community, need to sit in that discomfort, that our fellow human beings are being talked to this way and treated this way, and it isn't banal. Um, It isn't nothing or no big deal. These are important cuts and slights that are used frequently, and making light of them doesn't create any change so even though it's uncomfortable for me to confront gosh do i hear people in my own community saying those things do i hear people maybe that i love and respect making comments that they think are offhand comments that are really derogatory and cutting and that's uncomfortable to confront but if i don't how will i ever grow how will i ever make different choices for myself
0: right and to to underline that that's not the job of people of color to educate white people on what to do and i think that that is something that i picked up on in this book that Lena isn't sitting and telling Campbell the way to be she is frustrated at 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 the way that Lena or the way that Campbell's reacting to scenarios but also thinks that it's typical that a white person Lena's acting that way so when you're writing this book with Kimberly walk me into what it was like to to draft this story or to go back and forth where where were those spaces where you were exploring your own whiteness through not only the, the lens of what, how Campbell experiences the world, but also how, how Lena will experience that world?
1: Yeah so it's interesting because Campbell and Lena interact throughout the book or almost throughout the book and they appear in one another's chapters so although we wrote this the first draft we wrote and each person took responsibility for one character Mm -hmm. and then as we began to edit we sat side by side and we were working within one another's chapters for continuity of voice and narrative and one of the things that I had to do was um, sometimes write Lena and I would get it wrong a whole lot so Mm -hmm. Kim and I like to say that we both learned an enormous amount about one another's cultures throughout the writing of this book and um I got it wrong a lot, and that in and of itself is grappling, right? Assuming that I know the way something something would feel or something would be that expressed in a community that's not my own is not an assumption that I can or should make. And part of why this book, of course, had to be written is a dual narrative, and it never could have been written by one of us alone.
0: The, the not just grappling with uh, the racial differences, but also the the socioeconomic differences, yeah. the assumption about neighborhood and safety, yes. and um, and trust in people to do the right thing or yeah. l- or look out for one another. There's this scene that I won't spoil for people uh, <laughs> listening, but that Black really has a moment where he does the right thing in I, a situation that yeah. I think many would struggle to do the right thing but it feels like it's written honestly.
1: Yeah, I think, I hope so. I hope, that's our that was our intent. And yes, so you're, you're right. Campbell has racial privilege, but not socioeconomic privilege. Actually, as between the two girls, Lena is financially significantly more stable than Campbell is. And some of the assumptions that Lena makes are about Campbell and her socioeconomic status. So the both girls are sort of making assumptions about each other in this scenario, and both have some things... Uh, some perspectives to change as they go through the night
0: I, um, I, I think that when we ask about intention yeah. it really goes into an interesting place right? when yes. we assume intention it gets characters and, and people into trouble <laughs> over and over yeah. um, but this book I feel like calls us to observe and to take note of what's happening around us including how we are existing in a space and um, to realize that the, the, our presence in a space is affecting it and what does that yes. mean when we are affecting that space? Yes. Is that fair to say?
1: It is fair to say, yes. Yeah. I as so like that point. As, as, you're, as, you're <laughs> as you're meeting
0: the characters of Campbell and Lena, as yes. you and Kimberly are, are, are actually writing this story, getting to know these characters, um, how... <laughs> Uh, how was it for you to propel them through this god-awful <laughs> situation where, like, I'm waiting for these poor children to be... I, I maybe, maybe I'm at the right age to be feeling as a parent also a lot of big fear that yes. you send Campbell's dad away, Yeah, and Campbell is supposed to be under the care of a teacher who does not appear again for the rest of the book from like <laughs> oh chapter 3 or something
1: <laughs> okay so i love that so very much because you are now the second teacher that we've met who is like that teacher i know <laughs> there's real it's funny i don't that is definitely not something that we consciously thought about writing but there was book. a meeting point <laughs> Meet and me, and me she at the portable, and, and, and she doesn't show up. I um yeah, it's a really good question. This other teacher was very angry about that as well, and was like, "That teacher, she never should have left the concession stand in the first place." I and I get that. Yeah, there's a lot of question about the adults in this book, and there are some adults who are helper adults and who who love these girls and are terribly concerned for them. And the and there are some adults particularly the adults in Campbell's life who um, are not there for her and her dad makes some really questionable choices uh, over the course of the night and they part of this book is about these two girls learning to have their own, like I said, you know, Lena's views are very informed by Pops and Campbell's views are very informed by her father and to some extent this is a night in which they are confronted in a really graphic fashion with the world being different than what perhaps the perspectives that they've been that they've held to date are and they have to grapple with that and there is a way in which physically separating them from these adults who hold these perspectives creates the open space for the for the girls to do that And it's something that teenagers are doing. Anybody who works with teenagers knows a lot of what they're doing is sort of pushing back on their immediate surroundings and figuring out who they are in relationship to the greater world around them as individuals and not just members of the unit, the family unit or the neighborhood unit or the community unit that they've been part of up until this point.
0: I want to, if you don't mind, read something to you uh, from this. Do you mind if I read to your Please do. I'm going to read, this is, we're in, the third section of the book part three the first brick yeah and this is where I think the the world outside of the school and the world outside of Lena and Campbell just getting home yeah going through what might be a rough neighborhood somewhere that Campbell doesn't really have a sense of where she lives even though it turns out that Lena and Campbell live pretty close to each other yes but things turn here and um, and things turn um it reads she starts forward heading south wading right into the crowd one of the two clubs on the street dark and closed up whenever i pass during the day is not far away and i and clearly open for business tonight a pulsating line is formed outside the door with red velvet ropes and a mountain-sized bouncer lena laughs girl close that mouth or you gonna catch every mosquito on seventh in there my hand flies up to my mouth which is hanging wide open oh shoot i snap it closed lena tosses her hair which is no longer sleek and smooth like at the beginning of the night her blowout is starting to frizz up like mine would if i released my bun that's deep blue she says nodding at the club ain't nothing to get worked up about you've been in there before nah but black is gonna take me black is gonna get me in soon once they start playing his beats they won't care if i'm underage when you're with the artist they don't be sweating you about no ids bullshit artist maybe marcus says lena whirls around nostrils flaring her mouth opens to snap back at him, and that's when it happens. A big, silver-gray SUV swerves toward the curb. There's a squeal of brakes, the scrape of metal on concrete, and screams. People try to jump out of the way, but there's, no, but there's one person, a woman, who can't quite move fast enough. I think she might have been in the street, but I'm not sure. The details whiz past too fast for me to process, to realize where she was before the car hits her. Holy crap, the car hit her. She goes flying forward and crashes through a group of people in line for the club. I scream, but I can't hear myself over the chaos breaking out. I'm stopping there. I'm going to read you your entire book. Got um, to stop. To be dropped into a moment there where, whereas things happen in the book, things turn fast. Yeah. Faster than your characters can process what's yes. going on. And sometimes Lena can process faster than Campbell, and sometimes Campbell can process faster than Lena. But those moments, to be caught up in those moments, I I wonder, and I hope not, but I wonder if you or Kimberly have been in those moments, if you're writing from experience or from just absorbing a whole lot of news
1: yeah so neither of us have survived a riot um, although many of the things that the girls confront are things that we've seen in our own communities but we also did an extensive amount of research to work on the book and we worked with riot survivors um, with survivors of the riots from Philadelphia in the 60s, the LA riots, the Rodney King riots, and survivors of Ferguson, who helped us understand what the emotional impact of these moments were, um, and shared with us stories about one of the things, and Kim got to talk with the survivor from the LA riots who shared with us that as he nobody knew right the the epitaph at the beginning of the book is nobody knew the riots had begun because these things aren't planned out it's not like you get an announcement everybody's rioting here at this time it happens it pops up and it crops up and it um escalates and he told a story about he had a calling card at the time because there were no cell phones, which is shocking to teenagers today. You have to tell them what a calling card is. But every time he got to a safer place, he would call his grandmother from the calling card and say, I'm, I'm, I'm this far. I'm okay. And then he'd move on and there'd be another pocket of violence and then another pocket of violence. And we heard the same thing. The other um, major set of research we did was with uh, law enforcement. And we worked with a SWAT team to understand you know, what are what's SWAT doing? What's the police reaction realistically going to Be in these moments. And they said a very similar thing, which was in order for an event to rise to the level of a Ferguson or a Charlotte. Um, or Baltimore, mm. it's not just one place. It's not just one moment, um, and so that's why at the very beginning of the book, there is an it, during the fight at the school. There's an office a shooting of an officer, an officer down situation, and what happens is an all call when the majority of available law enforcement units in the area converge on that spot, and that means that their ability to respond to emerging events elsewhere in the city is diminished, and that's how you have these events. So, so the girls walking from event to event is reflective of what we learned both from riot survivors and law enforcement about how these things transpire.
0: You also have, of the two girls, Lena arguably would be the one all over social media. Yeah. And her phone dies. Yes.
1: <laughs> so We had to kill the phone. I
0: just kept thinking, like, all of the walking home, doing all of that stuff, she's able to, she knows Black's number. She's able to call Black through Campbell's phone but you lose all connection to social media. And when I think about what happened in Baltimore, yeah. I think about how how rapidly we knew about it because of social media. Yes. We knew about what it looked like to be there, to be a person there, to see how police were reacting, to hear how individuals felt like police were reacting. Um, yeah. And we take that away. So it's, I think, even more disorienting for the reader as it's meant to be. Um, because otherwise... Ideally, they would have avoided at least this pocket. Yes. Um,
1: yeah, we had to take the, away we, their connection to the social media, which was which was hard. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think... So here's what I'll say about... Campbell and Lena both make some pretty poor choices throughout the course of this novel. And I think it would be easy as an adult reader to say, ugh, they just were making bad choices. But... In my own experience with teenagers, I find that oftentimes they overestimate what, quote unquote, getting in trouble from an authority figure in their own life, how bad that will be versus what real danger in the world looks like. So both of them make some choices because they're worried about Lena getting... Uh, in trouble with Pops and and Campbell getting in trouble and step into real danger because of that and the only way that that could happen is if they aren't aware of how bad the real danger really is because otherwise you know the book goes no further.
0: That's really interesting to put it that way. I felt like I felt like all their choices were exactly what I would make oh, I think, which is why I was right along with them. Yeah. I don't think I had a moment of why don't you just call your dad
1: <laughs> because my, when she wouldn't.
0: My brain just doesn't go there. Yeah. It goes to survival. And unfortunately yes. for me, survival didn't, didn't include that adult. It, 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 it was prioritized to getting out of that environment.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that. I think oftentimes that reaction of why didn't she just call the dad is informed by someone's own experience of having an adult figure in their life who would represent safety. And Campbell doesn't, right? Doesn't. She wouldn't call her dad because he doesn't represent safety. Yeah. to her and he's not around and he's not going to come and rescue her. And so I appreciate you saying that because stepping into these characters as they are and not as we wish their lives would have been is sort of, you know, part of understanding them.
0: I there's so much that we're going to talk about you and me. Okay? <laughs> when we're not in front of people because I want to talk all the spoilers with you. Yes. But I want to thank you for writing this book with Kimberly for for what you must have both gone through in conversation and in edits to get it to yeah. the tension that it is and the uh, the, the confrontation of, of assumption and of privilege and of uh, racial differences you, 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 you don't shy away from a lot of I think hard things that readers will find very relevant to them whether or not they've been through it or not yeah. um, you hold yeah. a mirror up in a, in a powerful way so thank you for that
1: Thank you. I didn't share it, but I normally d- we normally do when we're talking. We did have some really hard conversations with the two of each other yeah? writing this book. Yeah, we actually had a safe word. Um, oh. Yeah, which I won't tell you what it is because now we use it to be shady and gossip. <laughs> but um, we would use it then to introduce difficult conversations where it was a thing. You know, we both were coming at this book. We were friends first, and we were coming at it from a place of love and a place of you know I would never want to offend or upset or hurt you, but I'm ignorant about this thing and I need to understand it in order to progress in the story and to get it right and we would use it to sort of create a there there are people who talk about safe spaces and we like to talk about brave spaces which we didn't invent but we adopted and you have to be able to have that hard conversation and sort of lay down your ego and your assumptions that you know the things you need to know and be humble and learn and listen to the people who can educate you Um, and it wasn't always easy there were definitely days where we were like I do not want to hear from you for like 48 hours don't even text me Um, but then come back together to sort of keep working on the story
0: I think that that it was that wrestling that probably gave us true characters, right? Well, thank you. I valued, too, listening to it on audio, on audiobook, that um, it had two different narrators, right? Two different narrators narrating the book, narrating Lena's voice or or, um, Campbell's voice, but I valued, too, that that it was then a a white narrator and a black narrator Yes. reading, I mean, I'm hearing, I'm hearing Lena through Campbell's voice. Yeah. Does that make sense? It and I'm does. hearing yeah. Campbell through Lena's voice, and that was a perspective that I valued as well in, in, in hearing how Thank things you. were going down. Thank
1: you. Yeah, I mean, I, I will, to the credit of our publisher, Sourcebooks Fire, they took great care with the voices, and the voices were really important to us. Lena's voice in particular is really important, and I'm, I'm going to repeat Kim's line, but um, Kim taught me that you know. so Lena speaks in African American vernacular English which is a term Kim does not like because it's otherizing but she does and she's in a product of her own community and within her own community and she does not code switch in this book because she doesn't need to or doesn't want to and that was really important to us to protect so that they protected it in the dialogue of the book and that they protected it through two different narrators was we were really grateful for that and glad for that um, and I have to ask you, how is the audiobook? I haven't listened to it.
0: It's fantastic. Thank you. You have to stop at mid-chapter, as I was okay. telling you
1: earlier. <laughs> That's great. It's really hard to go back and read or listen to your own work after it's done. Like, the book's on the page now. We can't change it anymore.
0: Even yeah, if somebody so else <laughs> reads it to you, is that not like no, a great treat weird. to have someone? Oh.
1: <laughs> no, I actually enjoyed hearing you read it just now. Um, but up until I, I, like, otherwise sort of assiduously avoid.
0: I think it's an awful <laughs> lot of pressure to have. Yeah. I, I feel like I drop audiobooks all the time if I'm not into the uh, the narrator yeah. in this case there's two narrators yeah. <laughs> to be into or not <laughs> and, and so I, was it. I was grateful I was grateful that I was grateful to hear Campbell find her voice yeah and I was grateful to hear Lena exhibit her fear mm-hmm. Lena was such a strong character yes and I immediately came to mind so many children that I was like you would be Alina if we were in a difficult situation. Yeah. And, and um, the vulnerability that both show and the strength that both show.
1: Thank you.
0: And the moment they have together at the end was beautiful. So I always Thank end yes. um, podcast interviews, um, Gailey, with this question. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Kay. Is there a message I can bring to them from you?
1: Related to the book or just anything? Is
0: there a message? Yeah.
1: Read all the things that interest you. Just read them.
0: We actually had time at the end of our interview for some Q&A. Unfortunately, the crowd was not miked. So what I'm going to share with you here are two responses Gilly shared to questions. She or I both restate the question so I think you'll be able to understand what we're talking about. Uh, Anyway, I think that the answers are worth not missing. So please enjoy these. Kimberly Jones is... is Yes,
1: my co-author is black, and I am white or (coughs) white-passing. About... How
0: to not be racist. -racist Anti-racist work.
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. It's a really big one, and it's... I'm certainly by no means an expert on this, so what I can do is... (laughs) Share <laughs> but I what I can do is sort of share the the things that I try to do, right? And the, the first thing is if you are a non-marginalized community, you have at a minimum implicit bias, if not racist racism within you. And we ha- I try to confront and grapple with that in myself, right? At the change starts at home. And recognizing places where my privilege comes into play is crucially important. And that's, you have to sort of, like I said, set aside that ego, right? I think when we hear something that is uncomfortable or reflective of racism, oftentimes our initial gut reaction is like, well, I don't do that. And inherent in that, well, I don't do that is a so. And the biggest question for someone who wants to be anti-racist is what comes after the so. I don't do that so, therefore, it's not a problem. Or so, therefore, I don't have any work to do. Um, So what? What is it that we're going to do and it's taking that ego away and saying well the people who are experiencing this are, are having the courage and to share that with us what am I going to do to A dismantle that within myself and then you move from there to your immediate community right one of the things that I often see among sort of my white friends are do you have proximity to people of color in your own life your personal life right are you friends with them first Kim and I were friends long before we started writing and talking about racism and Brian Stevenson talks about this beautifully in his books. Proximity is really important. If you can't understand people as the human beings that they are first, what kind of position are we in to then go about dismantling our own prejudices? So that's where I start, proximity. Um, how, did, how did confronting prejudice, racism, and implicit bias inform the book? it is about so in in particular the character that I write Campbell has at a minimum implicit bias and I like to challenge readers to say you know do you squirm when you read some of the things that Campbell says and thinks and if so why right use hopefully art is a portal and so hopefully you're using this story to see these things that she says and maybe back into things that you hear in your own community, maybe even think and say yourself, and then go from there in terms of dismantling the ingrained racist um, sentiments behind those thoughts.
0: There's an outstanding book for adults called White Fragility Yes, that um, is a great starting place for recognizing implicit bias and how uh, white people really need to do the work themselves and not rely on people of color to help us or to show us the way, but rather to recognize where we come from, that we come from systemic racism and that we are, we are the benefactors of those systems. And yes. that doesn't make us bad, but it yeah. does mean the whiteness is a problem. Yeah. And so uh, we need to recognize how to center other people. Yep um spe- center those marginalized voices and um and and also to help call out implicit bias yeah. among other white people yep. um because we need to hear it from one another and um there's a chapter in there about sort of the way whiteness sort of protects whiteness we don't want people to feel bad but yeah, when growth we do that, we, we continue the problem.
1: Yeah, growth comes from discomfort, right? The white community needs to sit within the discomfort of recognizing our own privilege and and grow from it. I'm also going to shout out a book that's forthcoming called Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad, um, which also has a workbook that comes with it, and it is deep, difficult, emotional work about confronting the ways that white supremacy benefits the white community. Um, but read the book and get the workbook and sit with it. Um forthcoming from source books actually.
0: My other one is um, the one I'm reading right now with my diversity leadership committee at school is called How to Be an Anti Racist. It's by Ibram Kendi. Yes. What? Ibram, yes. Kendi, Ibram Kendi is here, here?
1: <laughs> Shut your mouth. Yeah. Was it yesterday or earlier today?
0: Well oh, I'm wow. so grateful you came from <laughs> hearing Ibram talk to coming to us. Yeah. I clearly only looked at the children's tent. <laughs>
1: I mean, listen, children's, books are where it's at. What a
0: person to hear from. Um, He has two books that I know of, How to Be Anti-Racist and Stamped. Yeah. Before that, I know him from Stamped, Mm. and I'm reading this new one. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great resource. Yeah. Wonderful. Also that.
1: Yeah. And reading is, the other thing is, like, we we educate ourselves and we learn and we grow from that and then it has to be accompanied by action, right? What is What comes next for us? And again, I'm by no means an expert and don't have all the answers, but I do think it's important that having done the reading, we don't stop there, that we figure out what really dismantling um, institutionalized racism means and looks like and we all have to have a, an active role in that.
2: This is Darshana Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books in children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit children's book podcast is recorded and produced by matthew winner in his library studio in ellicott city maryland you can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast our theme music is by pottington bear care of the free music archive All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed.
0: Hey, before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. Those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Ailey, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny, Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast.
2: Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtime's a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumor has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's KOKO Sleep and I'll see you there.